This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Off Script Extra Time on Dubai Eye 103.8. Listening to off script, it's Chris and Robbie, and we're joined now, Roberto, by cricketing royalty. We certainly are. We are joined by a man who was part of that legendary team in the Australian national side between what was it, 1996 and 2008. 17 Test centuries, 16 One Day International centuries. One of only three men to win three World Cup titles, and he won three in a row. And it's just as well that the World Cup is on the horizon because it's an absolute pleasure to be joined in our studio. By Mr. Adam Gilchrist. How are you, Adam? Yeah, g'day, guys. Yeah, I'm really good. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to have you in, Adam. Of course, uh, Dubai's a bit of a home away from home for you. Of course, your association with the University of Wollongong, Dubai. And you've been a busy boy, you were telling me. You've been in India this past yeah. weekend now, stopping in past Dubai. Yeah, we, we've had a, a, a campus uh, here in Dubai for 30 years. We were the first foreign operator in the educational space to come into Dubai and set up a campus. We started with eight students 30 years ago <laughs> and now we've got about three and a half thousand now uh, and we've just moved in recently about 12 months ago into a, a lovely new campus just at Knowledge City there and um, so that we're really proud of that heritage but as you mentioned uh, Chris we've, we've been in um, India earlier this week to announce or well to go and see uh, the building being built where we're going to set up a campus there in India so we've had um, a long 15 years or so of relationships with different organizations in India and now get the chance to set up a campus and uh, and, and that's all around our foundation campus back in Wollongong which is just south of Sydney for those that don't know about an hour's drive beautiful place down on the south coast uh, so yeah always great to be back here it's my first time back oh, you know everyone's got their pre-COVID terminology, haven't they? But um, I hadn't been here for a couple of years prior to that because we had other uh, areas that we have operations as well that we were visiting for those couple of years. So it's about five or six years. So wonderful to be back and uh, even better to be chatting with you guys. Uh, I've got to ask you about this viral video with the Shetmates, oh, Adam. Yeah. Um, a serial champer. Uh, we, were, we, were, we were, I mean, they've, they've been knocking out some incredible content, those guys. And uh, just wondering how that came about and what the reaction was to it. I've got no idea how it came about. I, I was doing a, a day of promo for uh, my main employer, Fox Sports, Fox Cricket, cover all the cricket back home in Australia. And, and they also cover all the AFL all the footy and rugby league and all that yeah you know, they're obviously a full-time 24 7 sports channel so doing a day of promos where about the crossover from you know footy season into cricket season and cricket's coming up and anyway the the publicist there um said oh well, i want to get you out to a, a, a sort of a different demographic different market <laughs> place the younger group i'm like okay i get it i'm, I'm over 50 now i get that but um yeah those sort of YouTube is yeah. um, Instagram, TikTok type groups, and these young fellas are oh. unbelievable. They've taken it by storm, haven't they? Started out just impersonating people like me in commentary, and then um, and now they're coming up with creative. So they rocked in and just said, "Look, we've got this script written, we've got this idea. Can are, are you happy to it?" And I said, hey, "I'll do whatever you want me to do, like <laughs> as long as it's within reason." And then. <laughs> We re- I read it and I just couldn't stop laughing. Oh, it's brilliant. And, I, and, and they said, we got this incident in your career. So that was in 2004, before yeah. these blokes were even born. But they said, <laughs> we've got this incident where you champ a fellow. I said, I know exactly where it was. It was in 2004 in Mumbai, uh, Muhammad Kaif. But it, yeah, it's good fun. It was it's, uh, it's gone viral for good reason. And just on your career, you know, you're mentioning a couple of young lads, not even born 
back mm. in that moment in 2004. It's a question we ask a lot of the legends that we have sitting in that sea, Adam, whether it be you know female athletes, male athletes. Do you miss it? It amazes Robbie and I the amount of times that people tell us they don't actually miss. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm in that bracket. Are you? Uh, love it. Love, yeah, it's really nice. It's self-indulgent way to reflect on it and understand what I was very fortunate to be a part of. An amazing group. Amazing group of very talented cricketers all in the one spot at the one time. Very well led. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it's, I, I love the journey I was fortunate to be on, but I don't miss playing it. I don't, I, I get to go to the cricket still in a broadcast sense, and that's cool uh, to go and you've got one of the best seats in the house and, you, and you're in a commentary box with your best mates and you're talking rubbish about the game and, and enjoying it. So you go into the game without all the pressures and expectations of performance in, in, in out on the field capacity. So um, now you re- reflect on it really fondly and love the game. But, uh, you know, we had our go. And I love admiring the, the current players and the way the game's evolved. And it's not just cricket, but all sport. Yeah. Seeing the evolution of it. Um, and technology coming in, some say good or bad, but it makes it very interesting as a consumer, doesn't it, to have microphones up and access with video, uh, with camera. and uh, So, yeah, it, it was a good time. What a team it was you played in, though, Adam. And, and just chatting to Chris earlier, and I know the Rugby World Cup's ongoing. We almost likened it to the all-black period of dominance that we saw in rugby between the 2000s to 2019. There was an air of invincibility about them, and, and that's the case with that Australian team in cricket. It really was the gold standard. Just wondering, when you first broke into the team, did you experience, you know, a lot of sports athletes talk about imposter syndrome. You, you hmm. just had to sort of try and prove that you belong there. And then as you sort of got into the team and, and became an established member of that team, how did your influence within it grow? I think there's a natural, you know, it's like who's who in the jungle sort of thing when you go in there. And, not, and I, didn't, I don't say that meaning the senior players made sure that they, they made me feel that I was the youngest or quite the opposite. They were very embracing. Mark Taylor was the captain that I first walked into the Australian setup under and his communication skills were outstanding. And he would sit one on one. I went on my first tour in nineteen full tour, um, nineteen ninety seven uh, Ashes tour. I knew I was the last pick because you got to get all your batters, all your bowlers. You get a wicket. Oh, we better take a spare <laughs> wiki. Um, and I was it. So I understood I wasn't going to be playing much cricket. But what an opportunity! But he made me feel as important as Shane Warne or Steve War or Glenn McGrath just by giving me, you know, responsibility in the team and what my role was around the squad. So. Uh, but I naturally knew that I was where I was in the pecking order. So you sit and try to listen more than you talk and all those things about um, slotting into into organisations. So I tried to learn as much as I could. Um, and, yeah, I, I suppose, and then once you get a game, yes, tick, but then, as I said, you want to contribute. Yeah. You want yeah. to not only bed down your spot, but you want to start contributing to wins and making sure that, you're doing everything possible. So fortunately for me, as I said, I had two years of one-day cricket before my test debut. Still very nervous and still heightened um, sensitivity to everything when I went out for my first test. But um, I was able to... I walked out to bat in my first test and the bloke at the other end in my batting partner was Mark Wall, who I'd opened the batting with in one-day cricket 70 times. So there was a nice familiarity about that. That's it settled it down and I was able to contribute in my first couple of test matches are going to be horrific to go in a 
you know, go in there and get three ducks. And you know, uh, maybe I'm not meant to be at this level. But, but don't worry, by the end of my career, I had more imposter syndrome possibly towards the back end Did of my you? career, which really? is really weird, but almost to the point where I thought, have I bluffed my way for like eight years here? <laughs> and now I feel like, you know, 2000, back in 2005, 2006, I wrestled with it all the way through and then I managed to finish the last 18 months feeling back. But I, the mind can play silly tricks, as we all know, when you're under pressure or down in a bit of a trough. And I was seriously thinking, have I been this good or did I just get a glory run for a while or what? But, it's a heck of a purple patch. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah it sounds melodramatic now, but um, wow. yeah, your yeah. mind can play tricks. If you mind me asking, because that will chime with a lot of people listening to this in every walk of life and every day yeah. life, Adam. Did you seek out help then? Did, did you talk to a, a mate? Did you talk to a teammate to say, listen, I'm feeling like this? Or did you just Not enough. Around? Not enough on reflection. And I think in this day and age and the... Um, you know, all the focus and, and appropriate acknowledgement of mental health and, and you know, the importance of sharing and are you okay and asking questions and talking about it, uh, I don't think it would go under the radar now. But on reflection, and I didn't, I never felt to the point of depression, and, and but I did get out once in South Africa in 2006. I, I was dismissed and I walked in the change room, sat down, put my bat down, and before I'd even taken my pads off, I took my gloves off and in my backpack got out a notepad and started writing how I was feeling. I, I used to write lots of little notes and stuff them in the you know corner of the bag or on the laptop type out, which ended up being wonderful fodder for my book when I, like all good and bad sports people, you write a book at the end of your career. But um, on this particular day, I wrote and wrote and wrote because I, I knew I needed to express it because five years, ten years later, I wouldn't be able to fully understand how I felt and recreate that emotion. And the last line I wrote was, I, with an expletive, hate this game. And so that game and the psychology of it had me by the scruff of the neck and wouldn't let me go for that period. So I needed to, on reflection, talk to others. I didn't... There's a a wonderful cricket writer, cricket player, a guy that played for England A, I think, but um, he's no longer with us now, Peter Roebuck. Um, you know, he was an interesting character, uh, controversial at some points, but beautiful writer of the game. And he wrote once a line that cricketers need to wear a cape of bravado. So you walk out there on the field with this big cape around you and you can't, you, you conceal everything and you can't let your opponent know anything what's going underneath that cape of bravado. You've got to be, you know, chest out. I could really relate to that. I could really, you know, and I remember reading that whilst I was playing uh, and it, it's right, you know, in a way, but but it's also wrong. Yeah, it shouldn't be that way. It, it, but yeah, that that's what it is. And at, at the top level of anything, it's it's cutthroat, and there's competition, and uh, there's a lot up for grabs. So sometimes people do need to put on a bit of a false bravado to to, to pull it off. The pressure on captains, a lot gets talked about yeah. that, and it's, it's undeniable. And, and, you know, interestingly, following English cricket, Joe Root, towards the end of his tenure, seemed weighed down by it. Ben Stokes, no one really thought, he, no one had him marked out as a, a captain in waiting, and, mm. and obviously he's gone on to become a fantastic captain for England. Yeah. Um, just wondering how 
you would interpret that different type of pressure that being a captain brings. I know you said that when you captained the team for the first time against the West Indies, it was the proudest moment of your career. But I, I would imagine that experiencing that cloying kind of pressure that, you know, a lot rests on your shoulders and you've just got to be so much more sharp and alert mm. on the field and also in the dressing room as well. Yeah, the, uh, I don't envy the captains. I, I never covered at that position. It's funny, you know, all through junior cricket, and I think it's probably the same would be said across all junior sport, um, you know, who do you have as captain? Just the best player. <laughs> like, there's no about their personality. Oh, he's a, he or she's a gun. Yeah, go and toss a coin and run the show, will you? Um, either that or whoever had the biggest car that could, parents had the biggest car to drive everyone around all the fields. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not something I coveted. Whereas a guy like Ricky, yeah. I, he was always going to be a, um, a leader to an extent, uh, but you mentioned Joe. I mean, he's amazing. I reckon his greatest contribution as a leader to English cricket um, has been since he gave up the captaincy mm. uh, to to go and carry the way he's carried himself and just bought into everything. Not only bought into the Stokes McCullum regime, but but enhanced it and yeah. and adapted his game. And almost it looks like and. I don't think he has. I think he's always been a wonderful personality. But, you know, just the vibrancy and the and the smiles. It's hard to smile when you don't win a test match for, you know, 11 tests in a row or something when you're captain. But that unlocked him and, and made him a freer player, didn't it? So I think that's real leadership to to not go the other way and be grumpy in the corner and, you know, be uh, show animosity to the new regime as if they're saying mine wasn't right. But... He, so he stepped, he, no ego there. That's that's good leadership. What but, were Ricky's greatest qualities? Uh, Ricky was a blend of, I, I mentioned Mark Taylor's communication. Steve Waugh was probably the op- opposite end of the spectrum by way of verbal communication. But I, I've said this a few times recently. His best way of communicating was doing. So his actions were what then, you know, you'd then go, oh, yeah, okay, that's a good way to go about that at training or um, yeah, so he was, you know, sort of follow my lead sort of stuff. Ricky was a blend in between there. He was more Stephen at the start, a bit more, not so much of a talker and a, and a verbal communicator, but by the end of it, he was very much more open about talking. And I, I love, I was very fortunate to be vice captain to both Stephen and Mark, as Steve Waugh and, and Ricky Ponting. And yeah, loved watching Ricky's development um, yeah. as, a, as a captain. And to the point where he's, desire to lead that team and Australian cricket uh, was to a fault a little bit at the end. He himself says he played on about 18 months too long, trying to bring a new generation through. Like we had a lot, we lost, you know, we lose cricket sense at the time. Warney, McGrath, Langer in one test match at the end of a series. And then I went, I finished up a year later and then Hados finished about six months later. And, you know, Damien Martin in that same first series. So six or seven pretty uh, foundation members of that team all disappeared. So Ricky tried to be the transition, that that um, conduit to a next generation and teach them certain things, but it, it was just a bit too too far for him. Uh, great uh, comment. I'll give Robbie the full juice for this. We were talking about you this morning coming into the office and, and Robbie was likening that Aussie team to the All Blacks. You know, when you think the All Blacks, you think rugby utopia. And that mm. Aussie team, that three World Cups, 99, 03, 07, you Aussie boys were the were the All Blacks in the, in the sense for cricket. When you look back on it, Adam, we talk about environments and cultures. You can also talk about a golden generation. Was that a blend of the two? When you look back now, was it a case of 
we were just bloody lucky to have some incredible mm. players? Or was the environment and the culture that was built for you the really defining factor in that team? Yeah, both. Both. And I think, as I said, we, we had six or seven Hall of Fame cricketers all there at one time. So the timing was, you know, the perfect storm. But I, but I, I will forever say the culture or the behaviours and the values that were created in around that team from the leaders and then from, from all of us were of more importance. And we've seen multiple examples of very, very talented bunch of individuals being picked in a sports team and not getting it done and not finding a way to coordinate and be cohesive in yeah. everything that they were trying to do. Um, a lot of people, you know, you get asked the question, and again, very prevalent in business as well when going around speaking to business people, what do you do when you've got the, uh, you know, the rascal, the, 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 the troublemaker that's super talented but causes trouble? And, a lot of people, and I go, oh, who are you talking about there? <laughs> you know, would Warnie be coming to mind there? And, and, and never, like, Warnie, any of his high-profile sort of tabloid actions never destabilised our team at all. In fact, it was unreal because Warney took all the headlines and the rest of us <laughs> just sat back and did nothing, flew under the radar. But, um, but he was always had team in mind. He was generous of spirit and friendship and, um, and he was the best ever at what he did. And then, you know, Steve War or Matthew Hayden or McGrath. Like, so very talented. But the leadership of, as I keep saying, Steve, Ricky, the foundation laid by Mark Taylor. And I'd go back a step again and say even Alan Border, who we all acknowledge still as the godfather of Australian cricket. He's such a beautiful man, but he did the hard yards. He really put the foundation stone down against the West Indies of the 80s, rebel tours to South Africa where Australian teams were decimated for, for talent. And then he laid the foundation for Steve Waugh, Mark Taylor to step up on and build on. And then by the time the handover came to Steve and Ricky, we had strong foundation of core values. You weren't, you didn't mess with that in the team, and it wasn't aggressively drilled into it. But it just seemed that if a new player came in, something simple like whenever someone young came in, Brett Lee, uh, example, or, or even um, yeah, any other debutant, I, I would always go to them and say, right, come up, sit here, and you know, first question I'd say is, g'day, how you go? Tell me 10 things I don't know about you. Not, I don't want anything, anything, don't want you to tell me anything I could read in the press. Tell me 10 things. And so you're delving, well, where do you go? Oh, family? What did your old man do? Oh, okay. So you're just investing time, get to know each other better and better, and that just binds you know, that fabric tighter and tighter. And, and then it's amazing how that then spills into that, that um, as you, culture around a group that spills into the, the on-field side of it, and there's a fair bit of trust there when the Absolutely. chips are down and you can climb out of pretty impossible situations. When you're talking about a great team, some of the great teams have like a sense of inevitability about them. Even They manage to sort of get their way out of incredibly tight spots. Mm. And I, I, my mind goes back to the 1999 <laughs> World Cup semi-final where Chris and I have been fortunate enough to, to get Alan Donald's take on, oh, yeah. that, on that particular. You know, I don't think he... You took back there, did you? <laughs> he didn't enjoy it. Oh, <laughs> we, we, just, we just dove straight in. We were like, Alan, got to talk to you about the 1999 <laughs> semi-final. Um, but, you know, again, even though it seemed like South Africa had to win... 
there mm. was just this sort of inevitability about the Australian team. Yeah. I, you know, they, they went on that major yeah. run. Can I, I'd love to get your memories of it, that last over, and, you know, just how you look back on it. Yeah, well, I wish at that time I shared your optimism. Because <laughs> <laughs> that might have saved me a bit of angst and anguish. But, well, they needed eight off six balls. And we're thinking, oh, that's all right. Klusner, man of the tournament. Yeah. Every ball he's hitting is flying to or over the boundary. But it doesn't matter. We'll, just, we'll give him a single and then we'll knock over AD, Alan Donald, and we'll be right. And first ball at pace to the boundary, next ball at pace. To, so it's tied up. We're gone. We, we think we're gone. Um, and, you know, you do the old sort of throw the Hail Mary, bring the whole field up and try to work a miracle. And then the next ball is a missed run-out opportunity. So there you're surely thinking. I, I do remember just thinking that was it. That's That's gone. But, I mean... You never go, oh, I don't care or I'm not trying anymore. you still got to be on for the next delivery. And then, of course, it plays out. They panic more than – and we sort of keep our heads a bit and affect the, the run out and away we go. So, uh, But I think that observation, Robbie, about inevitability, I don't – I certainly personally never felt that about – any of the things that we were pursuing, and I don't ever, f- can't remember sensing the team felt any inevitability about anything, save for maybe the 2005 Ashes going over there. Uh, I don't mean to hop around too much, but we'd been going to India for 30 odd years and we couldn't win uh, the Australian cricket team. And we eventually got there in 2004 and and won a test series after 34 years of trying. And I only brought that up because I was captain. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't, I don't think we recalibrated then our focus to the ashes of 05. I don't, we, you know, we didn't turn out going, oh, we don't care about this. But on reflection, so, um, so yeah, know, and they, got, they ambushed us. So you, felt, you felt that you were inevitably going to win the 2005 well, we've ashes? Well, been smashing England for 18 years. Yeah, we true. Had, and yeah, particularly yeah. the previous two or three ashes, we home and away, we were all over them. So I, I, I don't even think – I've spoken at length to Vaughan about this, Michael Vaughan. He said, I don't think we were really ready to win in 05. We were targeting more the following ashes. We were sort of building. but Which was a whitewash, if I recall. Well, yeah. Well, but we, we, we won sure. the first test at Lords by 200 runs. So everyone thought, here we go. Oh, I We're remember that spell, Glenn went. McGrath bolt. Yeah. That was just unplayable for about four hours. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he was. But, but the way they played, um, I remember sensing, thinking, oh, this is going to be tougher than what we know. And it turned out to be one of the all-time great series. But So, yeah, going back to 99 in that situation, that World Cup semi, not for a moment was I going, yeah, we'll be right. We'll get through here. <laughs> it took magic from Warney in the semi, four for 30-odd. Unbelievable deliveries, and he does it again in the final. Um, so I guess the, the key, the only time I ever thought we might have been a bit complacent was 05. That three World Cup successes, you know, Adam, we, the common wisdom would have you, the experience and knowledge means you continuously get better through that eight-year cycle. When you reflect on it now, what was the side that you enjoyed winning with most? The 99, the 03, the 07? I, I guess this is a bit like asking who's your favourite kid. Yeah. But We've we all got a favourite kid, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, we do, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I won't name Naya. Uh, so it's a case of 
when you look back now, what's the one that I guess gives you the greatest, greatest sense of pride when you look back for whatever reason, the, the circumstances around that particular year that you think that's the side that I would hitch my kind of life on that we would get the job done? Oh, well, there were three very different tournaments. 99 was my first World Cup. I was relatively new to international equipment, well, three years in, but uh, but that was a challenging tournament. We we beat the might of Scotland yeah. in the first yeah. round. <laughs> just, that's, that's we just beat Scotland. Uh, and then we lost to New Zealand unexpectedly, and then we lost to Pakistan. So we were, we were on wood. We could not lose another game in that tournament if we wanted to progress to the second round yeah. and then get into the knockout stages. So, um, and we, yeah, and then, you know, the famous Herschel Gibbs drop catch at Headingley in the Super 6 game. Stevens had to score one of the great one-day hundreds to get us over the line there. Then the, what we spoke about, the yeah. semi-final. So we had a number of near-death cricketing experiences <laughs> throughout that tournament and then all came together and played the perfect game in the final. Um, South Africa 03, the night before the first game, we lose our best player, Shane Warne, the biggest profile in world cricket. We lose him to the, the doping situation. So that, that's literally the day before. We were at training. Ricky came over and says, mate, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? And he goes, Warney's tested positive. And he goes, what? And so we go back from training and deal with that. And yeah, all dang. night, all afternoon, all night, that's our team situation. And the leadership dealt with it really well. So that the next day we go and play the first game of the World Cup and where they're focusing on the cricket while the rest of the world are focusing on Shane Warne and what's going on there. So, But we needed Andrew Simons to score a brilliant 100 to get that across the line. We had two or three games where we just scraped over the line, but we went through undefeated in the end and played another perfect game in the final. And then the West Indies of 07, we just creamed everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounds a bit big-headed, but we were just... A juggernaut by that stage and and maybe that is the heritage and history of that yeah, two blurry. previous tournaments um, obviously there's personnel changes that over but I think McGrath and Ricky and myself were the only ones that played all three of those three tournaments but um, yeah that that Caribbean one in 07 that was that was fun. The, the one four nine you made in that the was final. In the final, yeah, yeah. finally finally. Is that is that is that your greatest knock or is there uh, another one that stands out? In World Cup cricket, yes. Um, and I hadn't scored a World Cup hundred. You know, it was my third tournament. I'd been run out for ninety nine in the previous oh. tournament. Um, but and I'd had a solid tournament without. You know, Hados, I was in Hados's jet stream all tournament. Matty Hayden scored 600 runs in that tournament, I think. But, uh, yeah, it was nice to fire a shot in the in the bit. It was fun. It was probably the most, <clears throat> probably, yeah, my, my most important World Cup innings and, and the most fun. We got a lot of questions in our show last night. We, we told people that you were in seeing us and we got so many questions. And I, I want to pick out a couple. This is a cracker. This person, I think it was Ian that messaged this. And he should be a journalist with a question like this. <laughs> The single most talented player in that Aussie team and the most underrated. Cool. Who is your most talented? And again, Robbie and I have this debate a lot on our show, you know, yeah. talent. People often say, you know, Messi's, Messi's a natural talent in football. Cristiano Ronaldo has worked for it. They both worked for it. It just manifests itself yeah. in different ways. So when I say most talented, maybe they worked for it. Maybe it was God-given talent. But yeah. that individual that stood out, maybe just a little bit more than the rest. And the player that you don't think maybe gets enough 
call them inches. Yeah, I think, uh, well, it's talent and, and, and being the best of the best. It's hard to split between Ricky and Shane. Uh, I think Warney was the best all-round cricketer that I played with or against. I, 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 well, you know, Jack Callis from South Africa, 300 test wickets, 10,000 runs or 12,000 runs or whatever it is and 150 catches. That's good numbers. Um, but Warney was just yeah, phenomenal and mesmerising. His batting stats should have been better than what they were. He was a better player than that, but he didn't... didn't uh, funnily enough, I don't think he believed in his batting ability as much as he, he probably could have shown, but um, caught beautifully, tactically sound, oh, yeah. uh, exceptional, not just sound. But uh, So I think, yeah, I'd go with Warney as the, the talent and, and, and it shone through and he, he lived it out. Uh, as far as being underrated, I don't know that Damien Martin received the acknowledgement and accolades that he should have. He was sublime. He was just an absolute high-class player who, like like a lot of youngsters, raced, was raced onto the scene as a 19, 20-year-old and then unceremoniously dumped in 1994, you know, was told by the press and the public that he was responsible for Australia not beating South Africa in a test match because he played a bad shot. You know, he was in a team with Alan Border, Steve Waugh, Mark Taylor, Ian Healy, and he, as a 21-year-old, got blamed for getting out in a run chase and, and had seven years in the cricket wilderness, seven years before he played again for Australia. In fact, at one point, he got dropped from WA. But, so he's a great mate of mine. We played all junior cricket together. And, um, and he, he never... He was an un... You know, the accidental hero. He didn't really... As a, on the rise up, he liked the yeah. limelight, but then he very quickly shied away from it when he got burnt a bit. So, so I don't think the cricket... Well, particularly in Australia, because Marto scored most of his Test match hundreds, of which he, I think he got fourteen. Um, Did he? Maybe I could stand correct with that. Maybe it was maybe nine or ten, but it yeah. was you know it was a good number. Most of them were away from Australia, so they're in India, Sri Lanka, like hard, tough cricket. One or two in England, um, South Africa. So yeah, um, so that's yeah, prob- probably it. What was your favourite ground to play at? Away and at home as well, Adam. Uh, and one that you always just felt, I'm just going to, I'm going to play well. I only get called Adam by my wife or my mum when I'm in trouble. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> hey, sorry. Gilly's fine. Gilly. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, Favourite grounds. Oh, God, there's so many um, that are, but I would say the one that grabbed my, grew up in regional New South Wales. So the first big venue I went to was the Sydney Cricket Ground. We, we were in the bush, but when we went to see my grandparents, they lived just the next suburb from the Sydney Creek Ground. So we'd always, I said, Dad, Dad, can I pull in? Nothing on. We'd just pull in and walk in there and, you know, I'd go down, touch the turf, and oh, maybe one day, one day. So that was the one that grabbed my heart first, the Sydney Creek Ground. But the Adelaide Oval, I just always found fascinating, just beautiful. The odd shape, like the, the and it's a bit different now, it's more oval shape rather than cycling velodrome sort yeah. of shape with the straights and then and then the, the curvature end but um that they've developed that you know in a time of modern stadiums they've kept the heritage of that ground at the adelaide oval but um overseas uh cape town so newlands and lords are the Ooh. two favorite ones you want to walk out onto i've got to get your thoughts very quickly spirit of the game yeah 
this term yeah. is causing an awful lot of ambiguity. Yeah. What's the answer here? Do we just need to say, guys, spirit of the game, play well, we're going to just take that out. Rules are rules, and let's just be done with this this grey area that yeah. seems to cause so much consternation. You know, where 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 do we sit on that? Yeah, the the rules rules are rules. Um, it's always been around this because you know it goes back to even without getting too philosophical, but culture. Yeah. And, you know, some things in one culture are not disrespectful compared to another, where it's it's highly disrespectful. So, I, I just think um, that respect, just play with respect, and then. You know, if there's, if there's, there's, that's why you have umpires to adjudicate on situations, and you just got to accept it. You've got to accept whatever the umpire determines as a re- reading or a ruling, and you can debate it either way and say right or wrong or, or feel hard done by. But that, that's just the way it is. But as a general statement, just playing with respect, aggression. Yeah, you love that. We want passion. Um, we want emotion. But just make sure it's respectful and, and, and don't whinge and carry on about umpiring decisions. Because I can promise you, when you cop a dodgy umpiring decision, we're very quick to blame a loss or blame someone else. But when we get a, a decision go your way that you know is dodgy, but you win, we don't, never go to the umpire and give them a slap on the back and go, oh, thanks, mate, good job. But we'll blame them if they'd stuff it up it's for so you. True. So just accept it and and understand it's sport really when you walked it was in the world yep. cup semi-final mm. and you hadn't been given out how did your teammates react to that Great decision question. yeah it's the most often asked question of my career Is it says, it really? what did your teammates say when you walked and it's not what they did say it's what they didn't say <laughs> it was silence oh, for god. a long period of time oh god uh and then ricky came in he, he went in and after me and i'm sitting there in the change rooms thinking Guys, it's quiet in here. Like normally by now, the TV's back on, or or you, heard, you know the murmur in the discussion in the change rooms back line, a bit of laughter, but it's still silent. And then I thought, oh, it's okay. Ricky will get the runs, and then he got out, and he comes in and sits next to me. He was the first person to talk to me. He says, "Didn't you see the umpire give you not out?" And I said, "Yeah." <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> what, what were you doing? And then later on, he said, "Actually, no, no dramas." He said, "Sorry about saying that, but." Just play the way you play. Simple yeah. as that. But that I didn't set out that morning with an agenda item to go. Oh, uh, must get the world to start walking in cricket. <laughs> yeah, know, it's just the way I played. There's other blokes that walk, but it just happened to be a World Cup semi where there's a high profile, you know, high focus and glare on that game. All I'll say, I'll accept guys don't walk. No dramas. That's again, I've, I've got to accept the umpire's decision. Uh, they, that's what they're there to adjudicate. Um, what you don't want is a selective walker. Yeah, that's exactly. a good way to lose respect in cricketing circles where they do sometimes go when it's obvious and they don't when it's a bit tight and they need to be there. I'm going to ask you one question, one answer. Who wins this World Cup? Oh, I hate this. <laughs> I've been asked this a million I'll give you four semifinals. Uh, India? Yes. Pakistan? Yes. England? Yes. Australia? Correct. I thought it would be. <laughs> Listen, Adam Gilchrist, you've given us gold over the past hour so you have thank you so much my friend pleasure boys top stuff thanks Adam great to be back in Dubai and good to chat with you guys the Offscript Podcast we hope that you enjoyed this episode please do go ahead and click subscribe you can also check out our other podcasts Time Capsule or The Big Interview find it wherever you get your podcasts 